0: I'm Duncan McLeod and this is the Tech Central podcast brought to you today by ioco, the IT systems integrator within the EOH Holdings stable. Now, I'm pleased to welcome a familiar face to the show now, and that's uh, none other than Stephen van Colla, the CEO of EOH Holdings. Stephen, it's good to see you. Are you keeping well?
1: I'm very well, thank you, Duncan. Um just came into 2021 after a bad 2020, as we know, but at least we're out of lockdown now or out of the really hard lockdown of level three. So yeah. hopefully the businesses can get moving again.
0: Yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully we won't be talking about COVID so much at the end of the year, Stephen. But yeah. Um, <laughs> no. This is uh, actually the first in a, a series of five podcast interviews with Ioko on uh, the topic of the great African tech opportunity, which is going to be a fascinating subject to delve into. So Stephen has kindly agreed to set the scene for us for this series of podcasts, and we're going to have a look at the state of play of IT on the African continent, including South Africa and where the opportunities lie. Um, I guess, first of all, Stephen... Many South African companies have had their hands burnt um, pursuing Pan-African business forays. Um, I'm thinking of retailers in particular, but I know there are others. Uh, Retailers in Nigeria, for example, have found the going there very tough and have come home uh, tail between their legs, realizing that um, uh, they can't just duplicate the South African model elsewhere on the continent. Do you think it's maybe easier, a bit easier for an IT company like Ioka to make a go of it in some of these markets than maybe a retailer?
1: Well, I think the thing that that was really different uh, between doing business in South Africa and then doing business um, um, in in some of these African countries is our infrastructure. We've got actually a very good infrastructure that works very well, and so where logistics are an important part of your delivery and uh, reducing your your costs, that obviously you know um, became a problem. And you you mentioned Nigeria and there, you know, if you speak to a shop right, how long it took to get stuff through the ports and everything. Whereas when you get into tech and you're getting into cloud, I mean, you can have a look at MTN. They've made a great success out of Nigeria, out of Zambia, out of Ghana, uh, out, you know, out of um, Uganda. And this is because they, you know, once the, that actual tech is in the ground, so that little bit of, you know, logistics to get your your tech in the ground, everything else you make money out of is uh, in the the cloud, as they they call it. So this is why I think um, tech going forward has got a much better opportunity to actually capture the growth of this next billionaires, as they call them. And this is why you see people like Google, Facebook. Uh, actually investing in bandwidth and that into these countries because they know if they get that right they then get access to another billion consumers
0: yeah yeah and it's not i guess it's not as logistically intensive as, as a retail business for example uh, particularly if you're delivering something like cloud services
1: yeah, exactly right i mean all you have to do is one time get your servers into the country and set it up and um, a lot of the the telcos have already put that infrastructure in, in the ground, so you can piggyback off it. Yeah. And some of them, you know, like Google, are putting cables in the ground, fiber optics. Um, but you know, hopefully, things like five G over time will will actually um, get rid of that need to have it uh, into homes and, and things like that. So you can see um, the African continent; they missed the fixed line um, boom and they went straight to mobile and that was much easier. So you didn't have to dig up ground and put cables into every home. And it looks like they will, you know, for the whole fibre to the home. Um, and, um, so they don't have this big legacy cost. And if, if you have a look in rural Africa, they are all adopting solar and, um, you know, much faster in small scale than actually having to, uh, put, um, you know, a big, coal fired, uh, you know, power stations or gas generators and then have to, um, you know, put up all the uh, transmission lines, which, are, you know, just massively expensive. So once again, they're skipping the legacy. And so this is really where I think the tech industry
0: can, um, you know, make a play. Um, interesting but there, there must be a lot of uh, barriers still to doing business elsewhere on the continent i'm thinking the number one one must be a a, a, a regular supply of electricity and unfortunately in south africa we've been having a some challenges of our own, but they're nowhere nearly as, as severe as the electricity supply challenges in some of the markets um, north of us. But I imagine roads infrastructure, even telecommunications, which has been, as you mentioned, developed quite a lot in, in, in recent years, must pose some sort of obstacle in, in many of the markets that um, that, that uh, companies want to operate in, including Ioco.
1: No, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think the real issue is um, if you go back to the traditional IT business, which was really OEM driven, um, it's actually quite expensive, and it's it's been adopted by the larger corporates. And if you have a look at the larger corporates in most uh, African countries, is they actually are multinationals. And basically what they do is they'll have a system you know, globally and they'll cut and paste it into the country. And so the opportunity is a lot less, but what's happening now is that, um, with open source, with API economy, um, there's a lot of opportunity to drive that for them within a country into their consumer. So you actually create this B2B to C type model, mm. and it allows a traditional B2B model, uh, a, a company like ourselves to actually get access directly to the consumer. And The consumer generally pays margin if they get service. And this is where I think you can start um, assisting companies um, in this whole everything as a service type model, if you want to call it.
0: Mm. It's interesting what you say about B2C and and, uh, B2B. Because, I mean, we've seen uh, companies like Facebook and Google investing in Nigeria. In fact, some of these companies have chosen to invest in Nigeria over South Africa. Um, and I think that's uh, a function of the fact that the Nigerian market is has such a large population and that population is also very young. So those social media companies see a big opportunity there. Um, I imagine it's quite different, though, for a company like Ioka, which is very much focused on the business-to-business uh, side of the IT market. Um is it? Is it, um, are the markets that you look at and chase going to be different uh, to some of the big multinationals like Facebook?
1: No, I don't think so because we typically follow our customers. So uh, where our customers are going, we will follow them. It's, I, I don't think we're going to go in there and uh, because we're largely a B2B business but we're trying to help solve the B2C problems um, right. and so... We tend to follow our customers and what a lot of them will do is they'll they'll do something in a market say south africa get it to work and then they want to cut and paste it into the other markets and that's really where you know the opportunity comes
0: so stephen what about the skills uh, situation uh, across the continent i mean we we know there's a global shortage of of it skills especially in certain areas like cyber security and, and others um is that um, amplified in the african context
1: No, absolutely. And, you know, especially where those skills can go and earn more money working in a developed market. So we see it in in South Africa. I think my biggest issue is not people wanting to leave EOH, It's actually people getting offered jobs in Europe or UK, in the US, where, you know, they prepare to pay them 30% more. And this is always going to be our problem. Um, One thing that is changing, obviously, is there's a lot of online education now. I mean, you can basically get a university degree. You can get a, a UK um, A levels just online, um, and so uh, all these certifications and that um, you can actually, you know, you can do an IBM certification. You can do an AWS uh, cloud certification. You can do it all online, and so this is slowly catching up. But uh, the lack of skills or the shortage of skills um, is, is you know, a problem, and one has to address that. And so, you know, it's part of our employee value proposition is actually this: upskill yourself, you know, um, you have to, and it's part of your KPIs and, um, for the year that you have to do, you know, so many courses and you need to get yourself upskilled because it's moving fast.
0: Mm-hmm. How open do you find? And I imagine it changes from it's it differs from market to market, but, um, how open do you find, uh, other African countries to South African multinationals coming into their markets? Um, uh, obviously, they've um, you've mentioned the examples of, of the big international multinationals, like, you know, companies like Coca Cola, etc., which are very active on the continent. Um, but uh, do Nigeria, the Nigerians, do the Kenyans see South African multinationals coming into their markets in pretty much the same way as they would view uh, multinationals from Europe or, or North America, or do they have a different view of us? Um, uh,
1: listen, I think it varies from market to market, but generally, you know, my rule of thumb is if you're going to go into a country, you need to use locals. So you can take some, um, let's call, um, you know, foreigners, (laughs) as a South African into a country, but you know, over time, you need to transfer the skills, upskill the locals and eventually it needs to become a local company. Mm -hmm. And if that happens, the brand is, you know, as will, will proliferate in that country. Clearly, the big brands like a Coca Cola, or an Cafe or a NAC. I mean, they have their 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 own um, um, uh, global ability to you know create following. But uh, for someone like EOH, it's a little bit more difficult. So you have to go in there. You have to create a local business. You have to create the skills, and you have to you know build that up over over time. But you know we haven't had problems uh, where we've had to do it. In some cases, you know um, where the projects are more complex. Tend to be around some of the government implementations. They actually prefer to have someone from South Africa or you know someone from the UK because they want to know you've done it before and that you can actually deliver. And uh, just like in South Africa, they always want you to you know work with a partner, and transfer those skills. So mm. one has to be open to that.
0: Yeah, so you still need to do the hard slog on the ground. It's not a case of waltzing into a market and saying, "Hey, we're EOH from South Africa. We're here to uh, scoop up all of your IT services business." You you still need to work for your crust.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. There's no there's no
0: shortcut to hard work, I'm afraid. <laughs> Good. Well, um, we've seen an explosion of, of, uh, of tech hubs around the continent. Not so much here in South Africa, but they're, um, they're quite big and important in, in Kenya and East Africa, and uh, I think a growing uh, force in Nigeria as well. Um, do you uh, work with any of those tech hubs? Do you see the, how, what do you see as their be, being their significance in, in the development of the tech ecosystem on the African continent?
1: Yeah, interestingly, we, we work quite close for them. When I was at uh, Barclays Africa, and we work quite closely with them when I was at MTN. Uh, EOH itself, we haven't done a lot at this stage, obviously, because we've got other issues uh, like paying back lenders. Uh, So we haven't been able to really branch out, but we do quite a bit internally. But I think it is quite significant. You know, the difference if you are in an African country, largely, uh, entrepreneurism is survival. You know, you have to do something, invent something because it's your, you you know, daily bread. Not many of them have a rich dad or a rich mom or a rich uncle that is, you know, prepared to feed them venture capital money for a while so that they can have, you know, post university, a bit of a, you know, social um, um, year off. Mm. So it's actually about, you know, creating businesses. And I think a lot of the, in, in these, these hubs, the government have seen the fourth industrial revolution as a way to accelerate growth in the company and in the in the country. And so they've actually been getting involved in it. The universities have been getting involved in it. I know MTN Nigeria actually sponsored the local university. And this is, you know, as they try and, you know, leapfrog things, uh, everything being mobile um, and everything being online, um, how do you actually use that to Grow the economy and there's been a, proof, a proliferation if you have a look in kenya nigeria ghana um uganda and this has really been driven by the government and you know making sure that uh, it can actually work
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting what you say there because i mean you look at uh, you look at the us and there's a lot of um there's a lot of wealth uh, that's being passed down through the generations which doesn't really exist on the african continent and of course, in the U.S. And, and other developed markets, you have a lot of venture capital and private equity money sloshing around the system, which which is largely absent across the African continent. There are some pockets of it, including here in South Africa. But acro- across the continent, there isn't a lot of venture capital money available. Um, do, do you think there's a responsibility for for companies like Ioco to help invest in uh, bright smart smart ideas, bright individuals who are coming up with uh, with with problems that's, with with uh, solutions that solve uh, africa's challenges, um, or do you think that the government should be the one that's uh, running these tech hubs and, uh, and, and 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 helping these bright individuals to to achieve more, or do you think IOCA can actually play an active part in in helping fund some of these these initiatives?
1: i think firstly duncan um i don't think that uh, you know the government can solve every problem all they have to do is enable it and you know create the uh, the the platform for it to happen and you can do that with tax incentives you can do that with industrial development zones you can do you know lots of things like they've done with our car industry so but i think you know a, a business have to see it as an opportunity they need to believe that um, the fourth industrial revolution is a real opportunity and actually the youth is the future you know if you think about a 20 year old today in 10 years time you know they're going to be your customer and so you need to solve with them and you know while they don't have lots of uh, um, uh, dependence and things like that and i do think that uh, if you can do it with the scale of a company like EOH, because we have got lots of the building blocks uh, that we can put together and allow people to, you know, r- run on a test bed using our RP and see what they build. It's a bit like how the Apple iStore Store or iTunes Store came about. They didn't know that Google Maps was going to be, you know, the biggest hit of of you know all the apps. That it just happened that it got used for location and you know lots of different things. And I think this is what you have to do, and it's one of the things we're building at the moment is what I call the EOH, you know, IP store or API store that, first of all, will allow all our developers across all our businesses to reach into the catalog and, and not reinvent the wheel so you get a lower cost to service, but you also get time to market. But eventually, you want to open that up to the uh, development community. And it's, it's an interesting point you make because, you know, in my sort of experience of mentoring uh, some of these uh, startups and being at the, the accelerators, what people do very quickly, they come up with this great idea and then they do that the POC, it works. And then they suddenly realize they're running a com- you know company and mm-hmm. a company needs a end, It needs to do invoicing. It needs to do collections. It needs to do cash management. It needs to do HR. It needs to do payroll, it, you know, and all of a sudden they start trying to put all those things together and they forget about their idea and then they run out of money and i think this is the big opportunity for you know a place like us i have all that already it exists so why can't people just camp on you know my my instances and um we can then you know develop things together so these are lots of things one can do but obviously um you know there's a cost to everything you've got to make sure that uh, eventually it becomes profitable
0: mm. I imagine the as a service model would, would help a lot of these uh, smaller entrepreneurs across Africa because um, they don't don't have to build a lot of these things because a lot of these things are available uh, as a service delivered in the cloud. So as long as they've got decent connectivity, um, they don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? No, that's exactly
1: right. And this is this whole partnership model that you uh, know I mean, everyone's been talking about. Don't go and reinvent something that's already built unless you think you can do it way better. And I know a lot of you know. Uh, People like BCG, their whole innovation model is, okay, deal with the big companies, you want to create something. The first thing they go and do is they go and see if it exists anywhere else. And then they evaluate those existing um, um, businesses and see, is it easy to replicate? Um, if not, um, which one of them would be worth you know um, working with? And are any of them good enough for what you really want? And so they always go that model first. And it's the same thing we do as we you know, build platforms or build something as a service, as you go and see what exists. Is it you know, fit for purpose? Is it, um, can you use it rather than, than rebuild it? The second thing you've uh, touched on as well is, I mean, there's a two speed economy emerging and um, where, where multinationals are big enough they tend to want to build their build and own their own RP. And in a way, they're becoming a competitor to someone like EOH because eventually you 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 provide them skills, provide them skills, provide them skills. Eventually they say, Oh, actually, I don't want to pay the marginalized skills. I want them to come and work directly for me and they take your people. Um, then you've got the next level, which I call, I call that the enterprise level. And then you get the large corporate and the mid corporate and the SME level who actually want to outsource everything. This is exactly what Zara does. You know, Zara, if you run Zara's uh, point of sales, you actually do the bank recons for them and everything because they say they're not financial people. That's not what they do. They're very good at store management. They're very good at uh, uh, design and they're very good at um, um, actually manufacturing their uh, clothing. And that's what they want to, you know, stick at. They want to do the things that they're not good at. Otherwise, you end up with a meteor mediocre service and it costs you more mm-hmm. and this is what i'm seeing a lot in the in the sort of large corporate mid-corporate is that not want to run a full hr function or a full legal function or a full internal audit function they actually wanted you know 90 percent of it just done for them and managed for them and this is in essence i suppose is what cloud is people are saying i don't want to run my server farms i don't want to run my you know data um, farms because uh, i need to scale them up scale them down uh, you know whenever I want to and actually if you can get it on scale from AWS or Google or even from a EOH it should be a lot cheaper um, and uh, you know better if you if you think about a bank they have these big servers and these big data farms that basically get used on you know um, every second Friday mm. and maybe a Saturday morning and then at the end of the month it's a bit like we buy a four by four because we go to the bush for two weeks of every year and we drive it to work every day choose petrol and actually all you needed was maybe a smart car or a vespa for most of the time mm-hmm. it's the same same concept and we're seeing this more and more as you know it becomes more plug and play that people want to outsource more and more of what they do
0: yeah, it's interesting. And software as a service is almost designed for the African continent in in some respects. And, and ironic what you say about big corporates because uh, they are desperate to get rid of that legacy infrastructure because in many respects that legacy infrastructure is what's holding them back. Uh, so we are seeing big banks, for example, in South Africa moving to the cloud because they, they actually don't want to be running that big tin that's sitting in their basement anymore.
1: Correct. But still, you know, with regulation there, they still have to – have their own private instance of it and uh, that, you know, that costs a bit. And so hopefully over time, regulators will realize that actually um, the cloud with the security layers in it or, or distributed ledger or blockchain is actually way more secure than the current systems we've got.
0: Mm. So Stephen, tell me uh, a bit about, I beg your pardon, continue that thought?
1: No, it will just accelerate it. You know, you have to get you know past that point it's quite interesting that uh, our government is actually under the search has actually done a lot of work in this and i think we might be actually end up being one of the leaders in in changing things like identity you know mm. um you don't have to go and do some historic document and historic address you know i have my phone with me every day you know exactly where i live you just got to go to the location map on it so why do i need to bring all these documents just go and check on my cell phone where I spend 90% of my time, you know. So these are the things that need to change to take, um, you know, cash out the system. And now this is where I think Africa can leapfrog because they don't have the legacy. You can just go to the, you know, next level. And that's quite exciting.
0: Now, Stephen, I was going to ask about uh, um, where Ioka operates in the rest of the continent and um, where, which markets in particular are you particularly uh, interested in? Where are you seeing the growth opportunities coming from and what do those growth opportunities look like? What sort of um, what sort of business opportunities are you seeing there, and how do you expect that to develop in the coming years?
1: So at at the moment um, we've got a an office in Egypt, which uh, I think is a fascinating market. You know, it's 110 million people. It's growing at uh, five five to six percent. They just you know busy building 20 new digital cities, and they've really you know thrown the ball. F- Forward. but there's other markets like Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, you know, that are, are, are interesting places right now because they are quite at scale, but they're also making significant changes. Yeah. The reality is, is that um, you have to pick your, your sector. So in sub-Saharan Africa, we're largely doing things like um, um, banking, uh, e-filing, uh, ETF processing, that kind of stuff, because we've been doing it for four years and we do that through a company called Cyberin. Uh We've got some uh, online, um, you know, credit uh, scoring that we do in Ghana and South Africa at the moment uh, with XDS and that was like an Experian lookalike and that will be ex- expanding because it's all mobile, it's all in the cloud and it works. Um, but, you know, Egypt for me is one place where we are already starting to expand our business uh, just because the, the level of education there is as good in South Africa and, uh, but it's uh, still the, the wages are still, you know, um, are cheaper. So you get a cost advantage and you can also move work between the two hubs and also Egypt's a great, uh, um, a stepping stone into the middle East, which also has, you know, lots of opportunities. So we are sort of trying to sandwich Africa between North and South Africa and, uh, we'll, you know, slowly expand in, in those markets as our customers move there and our customers want us to do stuff.
0: It's really interesting what you say about Egypt because uh, it's it's not a country which you typically associate with South African companies' expansion, um, but you're, you're seeing opportunities. there. Obviously, they went through the Arab Spring about five or six years ago. Um, I take it they've um, – it's not a country I look at closely, but I take it they've come out of that Arab Spring and they're doing well now, are they?
1: You know, you know, before that whole uh, episode where they had the uh, almost change, and I suppose the um, government, I mean, Egypt was a very European-ish you know, country, and it was doing incredibly well. Um, it was just they went through this whole uh, change, I suppose, and that ended in the Arab Spring, and they're now going back to where they were. So they've almost lost, I suppose, a decade and a half or two decades. But um, it's a highly educated highly intelligent, um, actually very ambitious country when you when you go there. And uh, it was quite interesting. I actually met um, one of the deputy ministers while I was there because we were, you know, just seeing how we could invest. And I said to him, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing one of the other ministers who will remain nameless. And he said to me, well, I'm not sure you can. So I said, why? So I said, well, I'm told he's getting fired tomorrow. And I said, why do you think he's getting fired? He said because he didn't he didn't do what he was told to do wow uh, it, was, it was so refreshing that actually a government official has actually got a job and if they don't do their job they get fired <laughs> but it was just the way he said it like you know he just didn't do what he was told to do or said he was going to do so he's out refreshing. It was like that <laughs> that's what we expect yeah and i thought wow how cool would that be
0: yeah indeed <laughs> Let's let's send our cabinet on an immediate uh, fact-finding mission to Cairo, shall we? <laughs> now, um, I know, Stephen, you want to chat a bit about um, about this concept of leapfrogging. Um, uh, we hear we've heard, we, we heard a lot the, uh, the the suggestion that that Africa is well positioned to leapfrog the rest of the world because we just don't have, haven't invested in legacy infrastructure, and you used the example of the mobile sector and mobile money particularly, and 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 how Africa and particularly markets in East Africa have embraced uh, mobile money as a concept. But how important is this idea of leapfrogging? Um, is it a is it a cliche or is there something really to it?
1: No, I just think, um, and I think COVID's, you know, shown it to us is that um, they are, you know, the idea of working from home is not a new, new idea. Everyone was just too scared to implement it. And now, you know, overnight, we all went and worked from home, and it's actually been generally pretty good. And uh, you can see already that you can very easily do a hybrid of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're all too scared as leaders to take that decision to allow a flexible workforce uh, you know for example if you think about education i mean education um, proper education is is the most important contributor to uh, productivity in a country i mean this is there's been many studies on it and it's not you know if you, if you think about um, having a workforce that goes into a repetitive job Mm. Um, first of all, it's, it's, it gets boring. So people m- make mistakes, don't do it. It doesn't uplift them and you can't pay them more. Um, the biggest issue is that, um, you know, we need to lift all people in, in South Africa, for example. We need to get better quality, but you, you can't do it unless you increase the productivity. I mean, my personal view is that our minimum wage is probably half of what it needs to be. But if you want to put it up to where it should be, you need to double the productivity. How do you double the productivity of someone? Well, you've got to educate them. And the beauty of it is that you can today. There's all these apps and there's all these courses online. All you've got to do is give someone some connectivity and they need to have a device. The problem is, is that you have to, as because the government regulates um, schooling, um they have to lead with it and say this is okay for us or actually for our rural schools we don't have the time to train teachers let's just train you know people to manage um you know kids in a classroom and let's give them this world-class education Um, and that in itself will lift the economy but you have to leapfrog a whole step you know you need to make it a new way of doing school you need to actually um you know go there first uh, otherwise, it doesn't happen. Um, you know, I think about data in in the South African con, um, context is it's a national asset. Spectrum is a national asset. Just like uh, we charge um, royalties on mining, you know, and uh, we give people six kilolitres of water free and we give them the first bit of uh, um, electricity free. Why aren't we giving them a certain amount of data free every month? Um, Instead of, you know, charging, trying to auction spectrum for a few billion rand that just puts cost into the pipeline, means that the bottom end of the, um, you know, um, pyramid don't get access to it. And I don't know where that six billion disappears to in the government. Um, So why don't you just give the incumbents spectrum and uh, tell them that they have to give every single person in South Africa a minimum amount? I mean, it's a very interesting um, um, experiment. Uh, one of my colleagues in the retail bank did when he was uh, there at ABSA is they decided to put free Wi-Fi inside taxis mm-hmm. uh, and then use that to market ABSA as a you know retail bank. Um, do you know what um, the biggest use case of that uh, free Wi-Fi was? It was um, uh, downloading school tasks. Oh, wow. School information, nearly
0: 80%. Wow, that's amazing.
1: It just tells you it's needed. You know, mm. if people have got it, they'll use it, they'll educate themselves. People want to get themselves out of poverty. You've got to allow them. You don't have to do it for them. You've got to mm. create the enabling environment. So these things aren't, aren't complicated. Um, you know, we can do them. We need to think about it. I mean, I think all schools should be just changing their whole curriculum and changing their way. They do it, you know. Um, my kids got it since because they're fortunate. And uh, but if I was C- in I would be creating since online, and you can actually, you know, um, get an education from since even if you're sitting out in um, Zanin on you know some rural farm, as long as you've got your free bit of data and a um, and a device, and you know maybe even they can. Um, as part of logging onto the school, you pay over 12 months, but you get a. I mean, this is what I, I think leapfrogging is. It's just fundamentally not doing step by step. Take three steps instead of one. Do you think you
0: corporate? Do you think corporate South Africa should be doing more to invest in in uh, in these sort of initiatives? I mean, um, uh, I, I, I guess the, the 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 starting point, the the view to start with, is that it's the responsibility of the government to educate the citizenry. But, um, but by the same token, do you think Corporate South Africa should be doing more to, to invest in education and skills development, particularly in the tech space?
1: Listen, my, my personal view is, um, you know, you as an individual, as a company, you've got to do what you can do. And uh, I, I find it difficult to understand why, you know, we're not investing more in these things because... Um, if you 've got a long term view on South Africa you've invested I mean we saw Ford putting in 14 billion around into South Africa. Mm. You know, I would put money into education around my clients because in ten years' time all those people are educated, they're more productive and they're going to you know, add to your business. Um, and um, if you if you educate more people you know say you a discovery health, if you educate more people, they can earn more money you're going to have more clientele. But you've got to be able to think ten years ahead. You've got to be building a business for ten years ahead, and the problem is, is that uh, it's not often that CEOs last ten years. So the, what they want to do is they want to invest. It's the whole problem with capitalism, is you invest for the, the time that you're going to get the benefit from it. So actually, it's better for me to cut costs, make more profit. I get paid. You know, my share price goes up. I get paid more money, and then I leave. And this is the fundamental problem. And I think this is where people like Paul Paulson at Unilever, you know, did just such a fantastic job is because he didn't do it. He knew he was going to be leaving, you know, before he saw some of the benefit of his uh, predecessors, of, of, his, mm, of, 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 of his issues uh, that, that he changed. But he did it because it was about the longevity of a company. And just to give you something, I mean, I saw, I was lucky enough at Davos to meet some people. I met the um, um, family owner of Lego. And, and, um, you know, their business philosophy is so different to a listed company because he says, you know, I need to keep my employees happy. I need to keep this business alive because this is my family legacy. I need Lego to be here in 100 years' time. Otherwise, my family doesn't have its legacy. There was another company that just puts it in even harder contrast. as uh, there's a brandy called Louis Trez. It's the most expensive brandy and one of the most expensive brandies in the world. I think one bottle of it costs like 30,000 Rand or 40,000 Rand. But the reason why it's so expensive is that they mature the brandy for over a hundred years. Oh, wow. So if you're running the company today, you're making product that 10 generations or five generations are going to sell. If you stuff it up today, you've just ruined their future. And if you're ancestors stuffed it up you don't have a life today just think about that and so as a listed company you know these people are thinking 100 years ahead you know to build sustainability into their business i challenge any listed company that's thinking even you know 15 years ahead Mm. and this is a fundamental problem i think with capitalism and we have to get it right we've got to think about growing our our country we need to think about we need to have a 100 year plan you know Um, and we need to execute on it, believing that we're building something for our future uh, for our kids very long answer
0: no no very very interesting insights now Stephen um, we've spoken quite a bit about the rest of Africa Um, I think sometimes we forget that we are part of Africa South Africa is on the continent Um, and uh, we've got some challenges here ourselves Um, we we have a, a, a much better infrastructure base from which we're which we're working Uh, but by the same token uh, a lot of that infrastructure is potentially legacy whereas the rest of the continent as you said has the opportunity to to leapfrog over that Um, we have seen a lot of investment going into the south african market in recent years particularly in telecommunications and data center infrastructure, Uh, data centers seem to be um, uh, mushrooming mushrooming up all over the Gauteng landscape at the moment. Um, So there's a lot of investment happening there, um, but do you think we're maybe allowing ourselves to slip in other areas? Are South African corporates investing sufficiently in IT to remain competitive with their global peers?
1: Listen, I think it's starting to accelerate, especially where I'm seeing, I think they've been slow. Mm -hmm. And I mean, typically um why it's been reasonably easy to do business in south africa is because we're two or three years behind europe so if you go and see the trends in europe and then you start implementing them here you actually get ahead of you know what happens and that's typically just because um, a lot of corporates large corporates if they're headquartered in europe will do their headquarters first and then they roll them out into their other markets and so that's just a, a trend but i think you know, um, uh, South Africans are getting better at actually managing their, um, um, their their own destiny. And they're also starting to see that with cloud and with digitization, you can actually compete in these bigger markets quite easily. You know, we saw it with uh, VeriSign, um, you know, some t- some years ago, but uh, we, we've actually had, we just had now, we had a um, webinar with the guy who was a co-founder of, get smart and you know that got bought by an international company and he's now building with uh, i think in the uk um a virtual university and so we've got all the capability but we do need to accelerate it and we do need to um be a bit more bold in it i find that we've been generally and i'm generalizing we've been um, a little bit uh, less bold because we've had a short-term view on life
0: yeah yeah, and I suppose, given the political challenges we've had in recent years and the state of our economy, you can forgive business executives perhaps being a bit nervous about making investment decisions.
1: No, exactly right. I think it's very difficult to, unless you've got certainty, to go to, you know, your investment committee with a audacious uh, idea because um, you know they're going to be cautious and they'd rather save it and um you know see how it turns out and this is really where regulatory you know certainty uh, government speed in terms of approving things um, you know needs to come um south is lucky it's got a very big diversified um, um um company base i suppose and so for for our government it's just about speeding up um the enabling environment because the corporate ci will will expand, will do well, are capable. Uh, there's no reason why we shouldn't be growing at 3 to 4% a year. It's absolutely no reason mm-hmm. um, because we can and we've got the capital markets. But at the moment, we're just uh, sitting on all the cash.
0: When I, I touched on the, on the topic of, of data centers briefly there and um, many people are now seeing South Africa as a potential hub uh, for cloud services into the rest of the continent. And we're seeing um, the big hyperscale data center operators opening uh, data center facilities here in South Africa, and those are being used to f- to service at least the sub-Saharan African region, if not beyond. Um, so, so there's clearly an opportunity in the IT space there. But um, what what are some of the other opportunities you, as you see them here in South Africa? I know that uh, people have spoken for years about um, South Africa as potentially being a major outsourcing destination, and there has been some some of that work coming to to the South African. Uh, environment. Um, is that still an opportunity, do you think? And, and what are some of the other areas that you think uh, might, might be opportunities going forward?
1: So what's what's interesting is with these data centers coming here, that in itself creates a, a massive opportunity because it allows us to have um, these hyperscaler cloud services very close to us. So you're not relying on some subsea cable link or something It's here in the country and so, uh, typically, what you do is you'll have 80% here in the country, and you'll access the 20% from you know different nodes. And I think that in itself is going to be uh, really, really helpful. You've got the NTT one coming, uh, you've got uh, the Zero one, you've got AWS ahead, IBM are talking about it now. So I mean, these are like really ex- exciting opportunities that then create you know um, uh, further opportunities for us. Um, the whole outsourcing uh, opportunity uh, was largely you know, t- to do with 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 cost, mm-hmm. the access to um, skilled but you know lower cost. I think those things uh, don't last for long uh, because um, you know very quickly the demand rises and the supply is less, and so normal economics um, you get the the price point that uh, then converges. But I, I I do think that we have a great opportunity in things like um, application development, application services, uh, um, DevOps, where we've got highly skilled people in the country who actually enjoy being here, enjoy living here. And uh, yes, it's got a little bit more difficult over the last decade, but I'm sure we will sort that out. South Africans tend to do that. Um, but um, that we can actually do 70% of the work here and then export it. And we've seen great opportunity on that. You know, our cloud business in the last uh, year and our iot business has exploded you know um largely because we're doing it at a lower cost and then um, when we take it uh, offshore into that sort of large corporate mid-market space we can deliver the same thing for you know 60 65 of the price and so i still think that the south african ip and our ability to generate ip is still very very competitive globally um, we just need to um, be able to, you know, um, get the infrastructure and, uh, you know, get that from from government, get it, uh, you know, continually through, you know, we're still waiting for bandwidth for how many years on the 5G spectrum. Um, it's these things that I don't know why you, it's such a difficult decision. It's such a small decision, really, is just get it done because it drives the economy. We mustn't slow that down.
0: Stephen, it's been a great discussion and a great uh, opening seed setter for the series of podcasts, which we're going to be uh, running with Ioco in the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, So look forward to those discussions. We're also going to be taking a deep dive on the Egyptian market, which I am looking forward to hearing uh, more about uh, in that discussion. So keep an eye on that series of podcasts. Stephen Fincola is, of course, the CEO of EOH Holdings. Thanks so much for talking to Tech Central today.
1: Thanks, Duncan.